Well, good morning. It is good to be together. Whether you're joining us here in person or you're joining us online, it is great to be together and celebrate the goodness of God, whatever that looks like to you. It's great to have Carrie here to share about the refuge. Awesome to hear about all those students. 26 kids putting their faith in Christ. And they are in vulnerable positions. One of the things, uh, just talking with TJ and, and Hannah and some of the leaders, so many of these kids carry such heavy burdens. And what a joy it is that they found Christ and they are finding some community here. So I pray that, that those steps, those baby steps of faith, just continue and grow. And I was just thinking of the goodness of, of God, and I can just look around and see... God at work and things we can celebrate. And even personally, I look out at Pastor, uh, Pastor Dean and Betty. They welcomed a new grandbaby into the world uh, yesterday. Not so little Leo at 10 pounds, I think. So, But that's awesome. And I don't know, I, I was just thinking, uh, and maybe, maybe some are, are joining us online that are just in really vulnerable uh, positions health-wise and all that. I think of Dwight and Lois. I think of Lisa. And I, I think of some that are just... And I just want you to know you are still part of our fellowship, part of our community, and we're continuing to pray for you, and it's, uh, it's just good to be together. Well, we're in week two of our series on justice. We're talking about some heavy stuff, and last week we began, we introduced the topic of justice, and we're talking about what is justice and why does justice matter and how do we actually do justice? We're in a world that's kind of chaotic and we can get in all kinds of conflicts that are around this term justice. And I know there are lots of questions. And here at Community Church, we welcome your questions. We want to know what you're thinking. We want to know your yeah buts. Yeah, but what about that? So just want to invite you. We've got a number on the screen, and you can text in your questions. Week four of the series, I want to take part of our time and address some of the questions that you have. So I can make up plenty of questions, but I'd like to hear from you. What are your questions? What are you wondering about? And we can, we can lean into some of those. I want to do a quick review from last week left you with a challenge. I left you with some ways to begin to apply this concept of justice. So I gave you five little, little starting points. And the first one was to think from the inside out, not the outside in. What that means is we focus on the very character of God. That's where we get our definition of what justice is. It's found in the, the justice, the mishpat, the righteousness, the tzedakah. It's found in the love, loving kindness, the hesed. All these, the very character of who God is. So we want to think from the inside out. We said to widen your table instead of insulating and isolating. To get closer to the problem instead of running away out of fear or pride. To spend more time building relationships than building your brand, 
And then finally, to do something. To do something. To do something that shows up on your bank statement and your calendar. As I was reflecting this week and and talking with some people, one of the things I observed, and I, I can look in the mirror and see this in my own life, there's a gap between one and five. There's a gap between thinking and doing. Anybody experience that? A gap between thinking and doing. And I call that the, that, that's an alignment gap. When I, when I see God clearly, I, I think the right things, I have the right attitude, the right theology, all that, but what keeps me from actually doing it in a way that is tangible? So we're going to lean into that this morning because I believe Jesus has some great teaching that will uh, that will help us. So the challenge today is how do we move beyond our intellectual understanding and we get into action because there's there's a head, there's a thinking, and and there's a hands of doing. But I think there's some heart stuff that we've got to work on uh, to actually take some of those steps. So we're going to look at uh, a teaching that may be familiar to many of you. We're going to look at um, an interaction Jesus has with a lawyer, and he's going to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard that phrase. You may know the parable itself. And if you're, if you're new to the Bible and you've never heard of that, I'm absolutely thrilled that you're here because you're going to learn something, and I believe God continues to teach through his word no matter how many times you've read it amen so we're going to look first of all at the parable we're going to try to read and understand its context and then I'm going to invite you to be read by the parable and then we'll see how the spirit can help us take some next steps so let's dig in I want you to go to Luke 10 25 Luke 10, 25. It's going to be on the screen. It's on your app. You can open up a paper Bible. That still works too. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. This is Jesus, not the lawyer, but the him. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So right away we have the lawyer, an expert in the law, and he is asking Jesus a question. And whenever somebody asks Jesus a question, Jesus always understands the question underneath the question. Jesus always gets to the heart, and he will get to the heart in this interaction. Verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So you're a lawyer? You're an expert in the law. How do you read this thing? Verse 27, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So what has the lawyer done? He has responded to Jesus's question and he has given a perfect buttoned up summary of the law 
This, he didn't just pull this out of thin air. He's going to quote the book of Deuteronomy. He's going to quote the book of Leviticus. It's right there. But he is summarizing the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Great Commandments. If you know the Ten Commandments, the first four, to have no other gods before me, to not worship idols, to, to not use the Lord's name in vain, to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. So the four that kind of represent a vertical love-God relationship. And then five through ten, to honor your mother and father. Six, not commit murder. Seven, no adultery. Eight, no stealing. Nine, no lying. Ten, no coveting. It's a very horizontal relationship with other people. So we have the expert in the law saying the right things. He would have known all of last week's sermon. He would have known all the passages about mishpat and hesed, about love and justice and righteousness. He would have known Micah 6.8. All those things he would have known, and he summarizes correctly. Jesus tells him as much. And he said to him, verse 28, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. That's all you have to do. Love the Lord your God with all (laughs) your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and actually love your neighbor as yourself. That's what life in the kingdom requires, looks like. Verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? What does Jesus see? Jesus sees the heart. He sees the lawyer seeking to justify himself, to render himself right, to pass the test. And who is my neighbor? The lawyer wants to not widen the circle, but tighten the circle. Who am I responsible for loving as myself? That seems like an impossible command. But he wants to justify himself. He wants to narrow the requirement. Jesus, how can I make this just a little bit more manageable? Jesus' reply, verse 30, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Rather than answer everything directly, Jesus will use an indirect method, and he's going to tell a story. He's going to give us a parable. He's going to talk about a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, a 3,200-foot drop, 18 miles on rocky, dangerous terrain. If you know the context, you know that a, uh, this is a difficult passage. This is a, a difficult journey. So the man, the man that is half dead, presumably is a Jew. In some ways, he's an everyman. He's the Jew that is half dead. 
on the road. Verse 31, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So we have a priest and a Levite. The priest would have been a descendant of Aaron, would have had responsibilities in the temple. The Levite would have been his assistant. Would these two have known the law? Yes, they would have known the law. Would they have known that it was their responsibility to do justice, to, to reach out, to love their neighbor? Yes. What do they do? They pass by. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So right away, if you're the lawyer and you hear this story, the hero's got the wrong identity here. It's the Samaritan that has compassion. Jews and Samaritans, as we've talked about it, you know, multiple times, conflict, theological differences. A good Jew would not even pass through Samaria. There was such that conflict. But he has compassion. He has compassion. I want want to pause for a moment on that word, compassion. How would the lawyer have heard this? How would the lawyer have understood the word compassion? Compassion has a particular usage and definition in the Old Testament. It's the same word used, first used to describe, that God uses to describe himself to Moses in Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a, a, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 103, 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And then Isaiah 49, 15, can a woman forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? The root of that word compassion, it's, it, it, it's in the gut. In some ways, it's related even to the word womb. That's the level of care and connection that is associated with the word compassion. But again, who's the one with compassion? It is the Samaritan. Let's continue. Verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He cares for him, two denarii, two days worth of salary. This is no small task. This is not just, here's a gift card for some gas, figure it out. And a promise to return and care. I'll pick up the tab on my way back. What benefit will the Samaritan receive? Nothing. 
It's dangerous. It's a sacrifice. Jesus returns, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Back to Jesus, back to the question. The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. This is our mishpat. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Now, the parable of the Good Samaritan, for some it's like, okay, I know that. I've heard it before. What do I do? How do I respond? I want to invite you now to be read by the parable. We need the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to open us up and say, how can God's Word instruct us, teach us, open us up to how he would work. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how we may stir up one another to love and good works. That's what we're about here. So I want to identify three problems, not with the parable itself, but with the people in the story that I believe may connect with us. The first, the problem of the lawyer The problem of the lawyer. The lawyer comes to Jesus with a problem. He is seeking to justify himself. He is on a self-justification project. I believe he has both a theological problem, an understanding of God problem, a I don't recognize Jesus problem, and a how do I put this into practice problem, an alignment problem. Jesus will see and address both. I would invite you to put yourself in the position of the lawyer for just a moment. Have you ever tried to justify your self-centered actions or inactions? Have you ever made excuses for not prioritizing helping the vulnerable in concrete ways? Do you feel sorry for people in need, but don't really do anything? Do you have trouble seeing people in need as part of your community? Do you see those in need as simply an opportunity to make yourself look good? As you really look in, can you say yes to some of those questions? I can. I was reminded of a time uh, several years ago, was invited to participate in a building project, one of those deals where you build a home and somebody, low-income family, is, comes in and moves into the home. And I was so excited for this opportunity. You see, I had real skills. Two summers of framing apartments, so I was an expert. I had skill to bring to the table and I show up and there's probably 200 people there all in t-shirts and I have to stand in I got I got my you know I looked the part I got my tool belt like a real hammer not just a little hammer but a 28 ounce checkered frame hammer that I actually know how to use but I have to stand in line to hammer nail 
And I was so frustrated. I'm like, who's organizing this thing? How come they didn't do this, this, and this? Anybody ever been there? And I didn't realize at the time, but I was like, how arrogant was that? How prideful was that? How much was that about me and what I would do and my contribution? It's transactional. I give, I do something to get something in return. And I didn't get that return on my investment. I actually took a day off of work. I don't think I really got what I wanted in return. Who was that about? The second problem, I'm going to call it the problem of the priest and the Levite. This is kind of simple, but it's just apathy. (laughs) Apathy without feeling, just walk on by. There's an alignment gap here. Know all the law, know the theology, know what I'm supposed to do, but there's a gap between actually doing something. Maybe it's apathy, maybe it's fear. Maybe I continue to be insulated and isolated. As the lawyer has an opportunity to to hear from Jesus, I'm sure he can connect with the priest and the Levite. I can. Maybe you can too as you look at this parable and you allow the Spirit to read you. I think there's also the problem of the Good Samaritan himself. I'm not critiquing Jesus' teaching here. don't, Don't get me wrong there. At one level, we admire the Good Samaritan. Limited theological understanding, different background, all these things, but yet he is the one that shows the true compassion. In a wonderful, ironic twist, Jesus is going to make his point with the lawyer. When I look at this story, I don't feel very good about myself sometimes. When I see what the Samaritan has done, I can perhaps identify more with the priest and the Levite. Reminded me of another uh, opportunity I had years ago. I, I was teaching high school and it came time for the Thanksgiving food drive. Wonderful thing. For whatever reason, my, my little English 11 class was really excited about the food drive. And they started bringing in cans. It's like, this is great. You know, we'll, we'll check the box and do our thing. But they got really excited. And one kid who, I think he had his head down the entire, you know, this is Thanksgiving. I'd, I'd have to wake him up every day. But his eyes lit up when we did the food drive. And this kid started bringing in not just cans, but money. Not just a dollar, not just change, but like real money. He's bringing in a 20. He's bringing in a 50. Kid, kid during the week probably brought in over $100. And I'm talking to him. I'm like, you know, you don't, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. And he said, you know, Mr. Gallman, he said, I know what it feels like to be hungry. I know what it feels like to be hungry. I know what it feels like to be in need, and somebody took care of my family. And I want to give back. How do you think I felt? (laughs) Now the kid went back to sleep the rest of the semester. (laughs) 
but I'll never forget that kid. I'll never forget that expression. I know what it feels like. And I look at that and I'm like, I got to be, I, I don't know what that feels like. I really don't. There's a limit to my empathy. There's a limit to my ability to connect with that experience. And as I thought about this, there's a limit to my ability to connect because I am relying on my own resources. I am simply operating on that horizontal plane of what can I do? How can I connect with this other person's experience? And as inspiring as that story is, it didn't really change anything in me. Sometimes as we see inspirational stories, even as we read, we're like, okay, maybe I feel guilty, maybe I feel some sympathy, but it doesn't necessarily lead me to action. And I think the problem we can have with the Good Samaritan is we rely on our own resources. So let me take you one step further. I believe that the Good Samaritan, and several theologians have said, point us to the great Samaritan. The compassion of the Samaritan points us to the compassion of Jesus. Let me just point you to a few passages. Luke 7, 13, as the Lord is, is raising a widow's son, he says, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And said to her, do not weep. Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Matthew 9, 35 through 36 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Can you see the compassion of Jesus? Luke 13, 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together? This is Jesus. As a hen gathers her brood under her wings... And you were not willing. And then finally in the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 20, and he arose, the prodigal, and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So the good Samaritan, his compassion points us to the great Samaritan in his compassion. I want you to see that compassion of Jesus. But there's another thing that we need to see. As you look at this story, this parable, there's one person we haven't talked about much in the parable. It's the man who's half dead on the road. 
And if Jesus is the great Samaritan, we are not just half dead, but we're all the way dead on the road. And Jesus has rescued us. I'm all the way dead. I, I didn't just have a little, little ding and get up and Jesus helped me out, but I am all the way dead. And why am I dead? Because of my sin. Because of my rejection. Because at one point, why were we yet sinners? Christ died for us and he picked me up off of the road. Can you see your own need, your own spiritual poverty, your own need to be rescued, your own sin? I want to take you to 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We see Jesus, we see his compassion, we see ourselves and when I am born again, when I am born of the Spirit, when I put my faith, my trust in Christ, I now have the resources. Because I can see what Jesus has done for me. I can see his compassion. And when I see that, when I see what he's done for me, when I see that I wasn't just half dead, but I was fully dead in the road in my sin and he rescued me, then I don't have to rely on my own empathy for somebody else. I can draw from those resources and then reach out in love. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your compassion. May it not just penetrate our minds, but our hearts and lead us to do not to earn anything, but in response for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.